The listeners will remember how I described my very powerful emotional roller coaster of a trip to Israel earlier this month. It was a week long trip. You can go back and listen to the episode if you want to. We did so much over the course of one week. We went to the Knesset, we went to the communities down south in the Gaza envelope that were hit hard by Hamas on October 7, 2023. We went to Tel Aviv, we went to Hostage Square. It was really just a, a jam-packed trip, but it did only last a week. However, one of my friends who was also a participant on that trip, in fact, he even got his bar mitzvah on that trip. He is Matthew Tiermont. He is a former guest here on the Josh Hammer Show, and he's going to join us here momentarily for a repeat performance. He stayed in Israel for a while after our trip was done, and he had some really, really interesting experiences there. So I wanted to bring him on to tell us about it. You are going to be the first ones to hear about this. I, I am looking forward to hearing about it myself. So Matthew Tiermond is an international and investigative journalist, been affiliated with a number of different organizations over the years, currently working with Visegrad 24. So Matthew Tiermond, thank you so much for, for joining us again. Why don't we, before getting into the substance here, tell, tell us about Visegrad 24. What exactly is this organization that you've been working with recently in Israel? Certainly. Uh, great to be back with you. As always, we talk a lot, uh, a lot of great conversations offline. It's always a pleasure to uh, share them with the world at large, given that we're doing some interesting stuff. Uh, Visegrad is a online platform started as a lark uh, out of Warsaw. Two brothers, uh, you know, uh, Stefan Thompson, the, the, the main founder uh, from your time in Central Europe in Poland and Hungary, uh, started to focus on English language, conservative sovereignty and borders focused content on Twitter predominantly uh, in 2020. It's been around for four years and change uh, with a, you know, a bent that is the alternative to the mainstream press of England and Germany and France and all over because Central Europe was under attack. We've talked about it in depth, Poland, Hungary. You know, it's not democratic when the mandates delivered are to right wing populist nationalist conservatives. And so they became an alternative to that. They covered Ukraine quite deeply. Being in Poland, they had great access to information. And then October 7th pivoted because their main issue is the sovereignty and conservative values of Europe preserving them. That means they've been sounding the alarm on the Islamicization of Europe. And post October 7th, they pivoted all of their productive capacities to focus on Israel and became a very dominant voice, so much so that MSNBC and NBCNews.com, Brandy Zadrozny, labeled them Russian misinformation despite spending the previous two years covering <laughs> Ukraine from a pro-Ukraine bent. Uh, so we know they're over the target. They've done four million, four billion impressions since October 7th. They're doing half a billion to a billion a month on short form content, have currently expanded to Telegram, Instagram, uh, Rumble and YouTube. And we did a project post our week together, uh, where which was an amazing week that you and I spent in some really great places and some some deep experience, which you talked about on your excellent podcast from a few weeks ago. But I stayed on to work with them for two weeks doing a deeper project on Israel, on anti-Semitism, on the political mandate of the Israeli government, on all these subjects that aren't being covered accurately by the Western press. So deep interviews, podcast style, 40-minute interviews with politicians and media, influencers, 
thought leaders, as well as man on the street type stuff. It will all be released in coming weeks in both short form content for their their conventional style, which is Twitter and Telegram, et cetera, as well as uh, Rumble and YouTube podcast discussions. And as part of the project, we did go off the beaten path and we went to Ramallah, which is, I think, what we're going to talk more in depth about. Yes, we are going to talk about that. But first, shameless plug for Vishagraj24. If you're not already following them on social media, go ahead and do so. It's Vishagrad, V-I-S-E-G-R-A. D24. Visegrad, as Matthew just alluded to, is a is a reference to the four countries that comprise the Visegrad group, Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, and Czechia, I guess we're calling it these days, not, yep. not Czech Republic anymore. Um, fine. Yeah, either one is fine. So Stefan Thompson, who Matthew referenced, is, is the founder of this organization. I've known him for a few years via Matthew. The, the Jewish insider, I, I actually ran a very interesting and, and and I thought quite excellent interview of Stefan Thompson. It's, it's written by Lahav Harkov, who's a well-known pro-Israel Israeli columnist and commentator. So go ahead and, and Google that as well. It's a Jewish insider interview of Stefan Thompson, who has been doing really, really powerful work post-October 7th when it comes to Israel. Really amusing, uh, Matthew, to your point, that people would call this Russian misinformation. I'm not sure that anyone has been as adamantly hardcore pro-Ukraine as Stefan and Vishagrad 24 since Putin invaded in February 2022. But that's quite humorous, a conversation for another day, perhaps. But as you alluded to, Matthew, the part that I really, really want to bring you on our show to discuss, we'll get into, if we have time, some of the interviews and the conversations that you had that we all look forward to watching on Vishagrad 24 when you guys release them. But you sent me some snippets privately offline, some photos and, and videos of Ramallah. Now, I, I want to just paint that picture before we hear from you about it. Ramallah is where the Palestinian Authority is located. That's where Mahmoud Abbas resides. He has been the, the chieftain, the kleptocrat in chief, if you will, of the Palestinian Authority since he took over in 2005. So he's now in the 19th year or so of his four-year term. Uh, the reason that he does not hold elections, of course, is that the polls routinely show that his party, Fatah, would get absolutely wiped out by Hamas. The, the Palestinian Authority is the successor to Yasser Arafat's PLO. Ramallah is ground zero. It is truly ground zero of the so-called Palestinian cause. It is under the Oslo Accords, the 1990s deemed, quote unquote, Area A, which under Oslo means that it is under Palestinian authority, administrative and security control. So, you know, if you are an Israeli Jew and you go there, first of all, you are not allowed to. It's literally illegal and you are you are liable to uh, I mean, be killed. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, like like you can't do it. So, Matthew, you are Jewish and yeah. You, and an American. And, 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 and a twofer. Right. So you, you are a politically conservative Jewish American who managed to get to Ramallah, which I've never talked with anyone who's been to Ramallah. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe some people in like the U.S. State Department diplomatized, but certainly no one who's like a civilian like you or me. So how did you do it, first of all? How did this happen? And then we'll talk about what you saw. So, you know, I am the Visegrad geyser and we went with uh, uh, Stefan, his his co-founder, partner. You know, there's really three, three three co-founders. It was Stefan and his brother, Jan, Yash, uh, who does a lot of the camera work, and Adam Starzynski, who infamously uh, maintained the based Poland accounts that kept getting banned before Elon freed the bird. So he joined them to work on Visegrad. Uh, Adam did not join, but we went, uh, Stefan, Yash, myself, and one of our cameramen uh, who lives in Warsaw. He's from Ukraine. He's from the uh, fallen city of Mykolaiv. And uh, we went, we organized it through some guides. We actually organized it through a military figure in Israel who 
was formerly the sort of acting military mayor of Gaza before the pullout. So he's always had relations between both sides. And we expressed interest in going where, you know, people don't tread. As you said, no Israelis, it is illegal for anybody holding an Israeli passport to enter uh, the, the main cities of the West Bank. You can only drive through them on, you know, Highway 60, where it's very, very tightly uh, secured by uh, by watch by walls, fences, barbed wire, uh, guard posts posts, checkpoints, etc. Uh, so to go into Ramallah as an American Jew, uh, granted not an Israeli citizen, but an American Jew, I don't want to say it was unprecedented, but in this moment, I was probably the only American Jew who'd stepped foot in Ramallah since October 7th. Maybe some, you know, UN State Department type, uh, you know, uh, useful idiots who are working that. But even then, we did not see, and we'll talk about that, who we saw on the ground outside, you know, the Ramallans, the Arabs, the so-called Palestinians of the West Bank. Uh, so we organized a guide uh, on the ground and the guide, the, the, the footage we have is really kind of explosive because the guides and the security that we had organized, uh, they were pretty open about their views, even when many other people would not talk to us. And in fact, our guide uh, was somebody who was previously imprisoned as a teenager for throwing stones at soldiers. So we wow. were in the belly of the beast. Uh, I certainly did not allude to the fact that I'm a, you know, I wasn't wearing a T-shirt that said "Proud American Jew." Uh, <laughs> that being said, you know, talking to a lot of people on the ground, it's pretty clear that I, you know, I said I was from Poland because I have a Polish passport, which I had on me in case we needed the passports. Uh, I was clearly an American, you know, and I said I'm a Polish American, I'm a Polish citizen, I live in Poland. Uh, but I ended up meeting some people on the ground from New York and Chicago. So we talked and it was actually quite friendly. I don't know, you know, people can talk about, you know, what it is to look like a Jew from New York. I probably fit that stereotype. So <laughs> who knows if it was clear or not? Uh, certainly my traveling compatriots and party all were joking that I basically have New York Jew stamped on my forehead. Just Google me, you'll see it. Were you, did you feel like you were in danger? Were you worried about your physical safety at any point? No, but there was a cognizance because we are pretty nuanced. I mean, Stefan has been to Cuba and reported. I was just in Argentina. I've been to Ukraine. He's been to Ukraine. We've been in some like, you know, dicey spots. I grew up in the you know inner city of New York and Chicago. It was stable, but it definitely had the feel of it could turn on a dime and get ugly. Everything was fine, but it's one of those situations. Everything's fine till it's not. At no point did I actually feel any apprehension, but was cognizant that Things could turn quickly. You know, we offend sure. our guides. They say, you know, screw off and we could be in a little bit of a bind. At the same time, we did fund the security and the guiding uh, decently. I joked, you know, on the way in that we're doubling Ramallah's, you know, weekly or monthly GDP. Uh, well, it turned out, and this is really the thesis and the takeaway, I certainly did not, because that place is freaking loaded. So that's exactly where I wanted to take the conversation. So yeah. uh, let me just, again, pause. Uh, here's to a segue for you, Josh. That's that's what I do. Right. So let me just pause to reset the conversation then. So, uh, again, Ramallah is where the Palestinian Authority is located, the PLO before that. The Palestinian cause, which was essentially fabricated by the Kremlin as a bit of Cold War era political disinformation strategy and agitprop. They, that's, it was really the Kremlin who convinced Yasser Arafat to come out of exile in Tunisia, to come back to uh, Ramallah and try to make this the whole thing. It has always been premised on the idea that Israel is an illegitimate country. And then post-1967 and post-Israel reacquiring the Temple Mount, Har Habayi, reacquiring Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, and and then attaining security control of the Golan Heights and the West Bank. After that, you have the invocation of the term occupation. And when people think about 
what it means to be an occupied people. And we could talk about how Israel is actually not occupying the West Bank. I've written thousands of words explaining the international law on that, but we'll save that for another day. But for the lay person who is out there thinking about what it means to be an occupied people, you, you probably have some very terrible thoughts and images coming across your mind. You're probably thinking about being subjugated in, in, in like a place like Nazi Germany or the, or the Soviet Union or maybe Fidel Castro's Cuba, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, I, I, just these horrible, horrible places there. But as anyone who has ever studied this issue knows, and I alluded to this earlier when I referred to Mahmoud Abbas as the kleptocrat in chief, the Palestinian Authority is a ridiculously corrupt and venal organization, and I had anecdotally heard that there was just extravagant wealth being flashed on display there. So take it from there, Matthew. What did you see? Oh, yeah. I, uh, you know, I've got a, a few sort of framing narratives that I'll be writing up. And by the way, this is the first time I've talked about this on any you know venue that could be distributed. I haven't even had time to post the photos yet on my own social media, which has a decent blast radius. Uh, but I'll be writing this up. And I mean, the the idea that Ramallah is this you know center of administration of a Palestinian alternative statelet that is overseeing refugee camps. Well, you know, we went by some of those quote unquote refugee camps and those refugee camps are, you know, they're like favelas, but they are not tents. They're not what you think of in Djibouti or Ethiopia or Mozambique or uh, Somalia. They're, you know, they're they're fixed structured buildings that probably based on my own estimation of what I saw and my other experiences have a better plumbing network than most of Russia. So, it, you know, it's hardly when you say refugee camp, you think of, you know, tents with people on cots or on, you know, uh, prison style mattresses on the floor tend to a tent. No, these are domiciles. Uh, and, you know, that's the that's like the baseline already. But I mean, the streets in the center of the city, I don't want to say they're paved with gold, but there were a lot of gold jewelry stores. You know, I didn't realize this culturally, but the uh, the Palestinian culture of you know, whatever structure it is, anthropologically, uh, they have sort of a reverse or an inverted dowry system. And where, you know, the, the the Western conception of a dowry is that the, you know, the wife's family gives the new home, which is the husband's home property, you know, a goat, a sheep, some furniture. Uh, in, in, in Palestinians, it's different. Uh, they give gold, much like Indians do, but it's actually the the groom who gives to the wife and the family. They give gifts of gold and gold jewelry. So the center of Ramallah, where they have two little circular squares, which I'll be posting photos of, uh, one's the main square, uh, and one is in a, a sort of a, a, a ancillary square about 200 meters away, which is called Martyrs Square, which has a monument to their martyrs. Uh, but in between this sort of connecting street, which is one of their main commercial drags, and this does have an old school third world feel. The, it's very, very narrow. It's very trafficy. Uh, it's it's littered with windows of gold jewelry shops and wow. gold jewelry and high quality gold jewelry. I mean, this stuff glimmers. This is not, you know, Canal Street in Manhattan. This is actually quite nice. It's not fake. It is high quality, probably, you know, a baseline of 20 or 22 carat and it shines and the windows are filled with them. And then you're on these streets and the business storefronts are rather American. There's a lot of lifting of commercial intellectual property. On the outskirts of the city, there's, you know, Popeyes and Domino's, a lot of Nike, Adidas, New York Yankees, all the major Western logoing and branding that you'd see, you know, anywhere in Europe or the U.S. But the real shocker was the cars. Uh, so many Mercedes, BMWs, top of the line Range Rovers. I'm talking the 150,000 euro base MSRP Range wow. Rover. 
Uh, and then the real shocker, and this is why I'll probably call the article I'm drafting, Ramallah, Maserati's not rickshaws, a $150,000 Maserati SUV rolled wow. by. And I was that that shocked me. I mean, you know, we always see that there's so much supply of Mercedes and uh, and BMWs. You know, if you get something that's off year a little bit, OK, maybe. But a brand new gleaming white Maserati SUV just sitting in traffic. <laughs> That was a band, the, the Range Rover as well. And I'll be posting those photos. So, you know, what we ascertained, you know, you, you're in the center of the city. There's, you know, the, the one of the landmarks that everybody in Israel jokes about in Ramallah is stars and bucks. The Starbucks tried to go. Uh, a guy tried to create a Starbucks there, lifted the, the branding IP. Starbucks sent him a cease and desist. And so instead of dealing with the legality, he just changed it to stars and bucks with a green circle. Oh and it's basically a coffee shop and a shisha lounge on the second floor overlooking the main square. And it's like it's a landmark that everybody knows that, you know, stars and bucks are in the center of Ramallah. The outskirts of Ramallah are very modern construction, high quality paving materials, high quality building materials, gl new glass skyscrapers for the P Palestinian Investment Bank, the Palestinian Development Bank. And this is all around the the, the Abbas uh, government complex. They have, you know, UNRWA schools, the American school in Palestine. Uh, they have a mosque. And by the way, uh, tell us about the American school in Palestine. I didn't even know that there was an American school. I didn't either. And we were driving past Abbas. We had actually visited Yasser Arafat, which is a great story. We visited Yasser Arafat's tomb. Wow. And we were supposed to go to the Yasser Arafat Museum, but since October 7th, they closed at 2 p.m. So we were too late and only opened some days. Not a lot of tourist traffic into Ramallah, so there's no reason to keep it open. <laughs> but the Yasser Arafat uh, Memorial Tomb, Memorial and uh, and Museum, apparently there's a you know, full on modern audio guide that gives you a three hour walkthrough of Yasser Arafat's life. He is absolutely sainted there. Pictures everywhere, stickers, uh, uh, fridge magnets and license plate type, uh, you know, gag gifts with his face. Everything is Arafat. In fact, uh, we were asking people about uh, Hamas and one guy came up and goes, ah, no, no, Hamas, we fatah, we fatah. But most people, and we'll talk a little bit about the people's response, they were quite friendly, but they did not want to go on record. And we'll, Interesting. we'll talk about that. So, uh, uh, you know, Arafat is a, I mean, he's the patron saint. I mean, he's their yeah. George Washington. Yeah. He's their David Ben-Gurion. You know, there, there, there was an image from a few months ago. I honestly can't remember whether it was pre or post October 7th. I think it was after October 7th. The IDF had a mission either in Janine in, in the northern West Bank or just outside it, and you had the IDF just basically bulldoze a statue to Yasser Arafat right in the middle of the town square there. It might have been just outside Janine or Nabla, something like that. But anyway, God willing, you know, what you just described in Ramallah will will, will meet the same fate at, at some point yeah. in the not-so-distant future. But I want to ask about where is this money coming from, right? I mean, you're an investigative journalist. You work with Open the Books, which which deals with fiscal transparency and corruption. So where do you think all this wealth is coming from? You know, on the phone calls I've had with friends and contacts last few days when we talk about this, I basically describe Ramallah as the money laundering capital of the world. Well, wow. uh, this is clearly from three sources. And one of those sources comes from the other two sources, U.S. taxpayer, EU taxpayer and the United Nations. And the United Nations is funded by the U.S. and the EU taxpayer. It is all coming in through there. Uh, the interesting thing, the only, you know, uh, European, American, white people I saw. Now, there's very gradations of racial ethnography and different bloodlines and stuff. So I don't want to make it a hard and fast rule on skin tone and complexion. But there were two Blancos, two real white guys I saw. And I thought they were German. The first guy I spoke to said, I'm from Austria. I said, can I interview? He goes, I'm not supposed to be here in a German accent. 
Uh, and he was wearing, you know, a Che Guevara style uh, militaria jacket over, you know, jeans and a button down. He looked very aid worker activist, which is why when I saw his face, I was like, that guy looks like a German. Uh, I wanted to go up to him and he said, I'm, you know, I'm not a here officially, so I can't talk to you. And that was telling to me. And then I saw a minute later in the same area, another guy who also was Austrian German. Uh, but there were not a lot of aid people around. And we were there, you know. A Saturday afternoon, uh, morning through the afternoon, and it was quite busy commercial areas. By the way, gleaming new mall in the center, multiple malls, but one that was nicer than any mall in Tel Aviv. I mean, marble, everything. Wow. And I'll post that picture. The entire six-story elevator bank, one of these malls that has an elevator with exposed glass that you can send see the fountain on the bottom, had the Palestinian flag. Uh, you know, flag after flag, each floor sort of in a continuous vertical line. Uh, so it's a little at odds. You think the Palestinian flag, you think these, you know, struggling, poor, oppressed, apartheid, genocided people, as the New York Times, and the Washington Post would have you believe. And they got gleaming new malls that look much better than anything in Europe. Uh, and, you know, wow. it, on par with, you know, what you'd see in Chicago's Magnificent Mile or Madison Avenue or Rodeo Drive or Worth Avenue. Uh, did you did you do you actually here. see high end brands? I mean, did you see like Gucci Prada yeah. p- p- things? No, like that? no, no, no. No, yeah, knockoff, yeah, uh, knockoff logoing. No, there is no, uh, there were not, with the exception of uh, the only ones that to me look like they were not knockoff pirated, like you know, pirated the optic and the the logo, the branding was. Uh, I think Yum Brands has a license there. Uh, so you saw Pizza Hut, KFC, which one of our guides joked that stands here for Kentucky Fried Camel. That was very jovial. <laughs> kind of a funny, funny conversation. And uh, Popeye's Kitchen. Those looked official. Got Everything it. else was knockoff or, you know, some sort of derivative effect that wasn't legitimate, that wasn't authenticated. Sure. I got to mention one thing to you yeah. about Yasser Arafat's tomb because we, we moved off that. The museum was closed, but we did visit the tomb and I'll post photos. The guide, and by the way, the guards, the military military guards of the Palestinian Authority, uh, a lot of them looked Arab, but there were also some Africans, and not like Sudanese, Ethiopian, not like, you know, from the Horn of Africa. These look like French Africans from like Niger or Mali. They didn't look, you know, British. I mean, you can, there's, there's a difference. And he even spoke with a French accent. So they are recruiting people from Africa, ANC-type Marxist countries to be there to do the same way Jews will do Aliyah. There are some African Muslims that are doing the same thing and that are serving in the military of the PA. And that was something I didn't expect either. Uh, the other thing I want to say about Yasser Arafat's tomb was our guide said, by the way, the tomb, heavy marble slab, it's removable. We could get a crane and we could lift it up. Now, technically, the tomb should be moored. It should be part of wherever the final resting place is. And the reason they have it where you can lift up the whole tomb with, you know, a uh, with some sort of, you know, mechanical device, it weighs a lot, is because they said Yasser Arafat's last wish that we will we will adhere to is that when we take back Jerusalem, he wants to be buried in Jerusalem. And I had to do everything I could not to burst out laughing when he said that. Wait, sorry, who said that? The, one of our guys. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that, that is, uh, I, I, mean, I, 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 I had to bite my lip because I didn't want to get into an <laughs> argument with him. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. And one other thing about Yasser Arafat, you said that he is, you know, the, the patron saint of this Palestinian resistance movement turned, you know, bullshit state. That's not the same in Gaza for my intel. You won't go around Gaza and see Yasser Arafat everywhere. In fact, the opposite. Uh, it, it will cause sectarian strife uh, because the, the, the political support that the Hamas regime and the Gazans have does not extend to the West Bank, the, the more stable West Bank and the wealthy cities like Ramallah and Hebron. 
Uh, so there is a lot of uh, internecine, internal battling going on. For sure. Yeah. yeah, no, we're talking here mostly about the West Bank, Judea, and Samaria. Gaza is a different beast. Um, Gaza, totally different. Gaza with Hamas being in charge there. I mean, uh, recall that Hamas only took over in 2007 in the Strip by defeating Fatah, the Palestinian Authority, in, in a very bloody Palestinian-Arab civil war that saw Hamas literally throwing out Fatah people off of rooftops to their deaths. I mean, this is this is a bloody, gory conflict that the mainstream media did not particularly care to cover at the, the time. The Gazans are more savage. I mean, there there's a stability in the West Bank that, as bad as it is, the stabbings, the attacks, the stonings, there's still bad stuff going on. The Gazans demonstrate a savagery that even the West Bank, and we talk to people on the ground. They do not, you know, they obviously, you know, stand with Gaza, stand with, you know, the the the, the movement, the effort that, that is shared among all so-called Palestinians and the Arab world. But they don't have that much common ground with them. They are much more in the West Bank. They are much more educated. They speak much more English. They are friendlier. They have a better life. You can see it in Ramallah. I mean, open air prison, uh, you know, relative when we were in Hebron as well. It's not open air prison. There's a lot of commercial activity. There's a lot of wealth. There are a lot of villas, and I'll be posting photos of the villas around the uh, Palestinian Authority complex. Uh, beautiful villas that wouldn't look out of place in Greenwich. You know, the landforms are different, the flora and fauna are different, but the the architectural styles. You know, a lot of a lot of very tacky Greek style. You know, nouveau Corinthian columns and stuff like this. But it's money. You can tell it's money. So tell us about your conversations on the ground. You alluded earlier that you did not speak with many people who are openly willing to identify as Hamas supporters or identify as people who support October 7th. Did October 7th come up in conversation? What was your sense as to whether the people there support it, how they view it? Because let's recall that Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority not only have failed to condemn October 7th, but they they were involved. We actually know that. I mean, he was bragging about it openly in, in a statement that was either leaked or he put up publicly. I can't remember. It, it was a week or two after October 7th. So the feeling there has to be, I would presume, one of support for October 7th, even though it was Hamas, not Fatah. I think it's more complicated. And we had a lot of interesting conversations. Now, we got very few people to go on record. Our guide actually went on record and we had a few others. But but by and large, we spoke to probably 60 to 80 people during the course of the day. We were able to film six or seven. Uh, and there were younger, more educated people who have the ability to go back and forth and weren't going to say anything overly controversial. By and large, the people we spoke to said, happy to talk. And I'm, I met a guy Stefan got a haircut in a barber shop and I was talking to one of the barbers who's from who's from the Chicago suburbs who whose Palestinian family came back here but he you know lived in I think Tinley Park or one of the or maybe Schiller Park it was either Northwest or Orland Park he was from Orland he lived in Orland Park we had a great conversation about Chicago about you know Ramallah uh and he actually misses Chicago uh, another conversation uh was one of the guys who was maintaining a jewelry store who honestly, if you you know met him anywhere else but Ramallah, you would have think he's an Italian guy from Jersey. And he his name was Muhammad, but he went by Johnny because he'd been living in New York and Staten Island most of his life to a Palestinian immigrant family. They own pizzerias in Midtown. Uh, and he, you know, they have a jewelry store. So he goes back and forth half the year to maintain it. And then, you know, his father goes back the other half and they kind of split time and very interesting. But nobody was willing to go on record in front of the camera because and they said very clearly, if we do, and by the way, they all call the IDF the IOF, the Israel Occupying Force, 
uh, they said, if we did go on camera and he said something that one of their, you know, cyber sleuths that they have, you know, lots of and, you know, Burke Hashem for that. Uh, so that keeps them on top of a lot of the stuff that's brewing on uh, October 7th, notwithstanding. But he said if they, you know, they saw us on something vastly digitally distributed and we said something they didn't like, they'd be worried, not that their houses would be bulldozed, but that they just wouldn't get the work permit to leave Ramallah to go to Jerusalem, East Jerusalem, to go back and forth. Because uh, that is regulated, and those who are, you know, security threats don't get that right. right. There is a huge amount of transfer. It halted after October 7th for obvious and justified reasons. But there's a massive amount of people who leave the four different border crossings that go from Ramallah from the West Bank to Highway 60 that goes to Jerusalem and work. And they want that work. And by the way, a lot of very uh, competent, great English speakers, well-dressed people, rather worldly. But that's what you'd expect when you have that much money sloshing around. Yep. Uh, is it easy for them to, you know, travel internationally? No, but they can. They just can't travel through Ben Gurion. They have to go to Jordan and travel through Amman. Uh, and so they have a lot of being almost like the cosmopolitan elite of the Palestinian world. They have rights that you don't have in Gaza uh, by virtue of the savagery that Gaza is still sending rockets. Nobody's sending rockets out of Ramallah. The IDF has found rocket tranches in Janine. They they definitely have. In Janine, yes. Yeah. In Janine, yes. Nablus, yes. That's they're very hot spots. Yes. But in you know Hebron and Ramallah, where the commercial activity and the the money is, it's not. And so the people have a relative comfort. We ate at a shawarma place delicious we ate at a cafe uh that was as nice as any cafe i've been in anywhere else with ivy on the ceilings well uh well accoutrements in terms of like the detailing and the design had an amazing like cheese pastry dessert i mean and that was all by the palestinian authority complex and it was lots of modern building i have a picture they have a burger place called hulk burger that looks like something you'd see in los angeles uh you know it was it was very surprising the you know the 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 wealth the comfort and the misconception that the world has which is why i was really happy to go and why i'm really happy to report this with you and i'll be you know posting elsewhere uh but the the talk one second about the schools the under schools look totally run down the american school that was in the embassy area a lot of countries do have embassies there uh right by the palestinian authority governance complex where abbas has his office and his official residence and there are embassies and the american school in palestine was quite nice leafy well maintained in this neighborhood of villas not far from one of the main mosques uh but the UNRWA schools that you'd see scattered around the city were very dilapidated very ramshackle yeah, that's which, which, unsurprising to me is well it further proves that the money is not going from UNRWA right. to actual relief aid it's going to some sort of activism that's probably presaging and enabling violence i think we've now seen that proven out for sure. And we're seeing that play out right now in the world stage with the U.S. and seemingly more countries every single day pulling funding from this horrific organization that many of us have been screaming from the rooftops for years now is a terrorist organization. And now Israel has fairly indisputable proof that UNRWA indeed was deeply complicit in the atrocities of October 7th. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, pulled U.S. funding out of UNRWA. Biden got us back in. Looks like we're trending towards being out again. The reporting is a little mixed. We're going to have to see exactly what happens there. So uh, again, we're joined here by Matthew Tiermont, international investigative journalist, telling us about his recent trip to Ramallah, of all places. So uh, Matthew, one more question for you before we let you go there. I, I do want to touch on the rest of your time in Israel after I left the trip that you and I were on together. So we've talked in depth about your time in Ramallah. You had a number of other interesting conversations as well with 
leaders, both inside and outside governments, intellectuals, journalists, uh, all of the above there. What stood out to you? Was there one theme that kind of pervaded your conversations that you want to relay to the audience? Yeah, sure. The one, one last thing I'd say about Ramal and the conversations that you asked about and I didn't answer before was, you know, October 7th, Hamas, what were people saying? And by and large, people said two things. We want peace and we want a two-state solution. They want that statehood. Right now, they're a state lit. They've got some rights of states. They have others. They don't. Obviously, you and I agree they should not be a state because those rights they don't have are to militarize. And we do not need that after what we've seen from this culture that exists of corruption, of violence, of even savagery when you talk about Gaza and what happened October 7th. Uh, but the people were very, very effacing. And it was, you know, well, you'll see in some of the videos we have, uh, it was way more worldly. It, it's such a different world than Gaza. That was a big takeaway as well, in addition to that sort of financial component of the money laundering. In terms of being in Tel Aviv for another two weeks with Visegrad guys, Stefan and Yash and, and Adam Adam Starzynski and our, and our, and our crew, uh, we had a slew of great interviews. I mean, on the political side, you know, we interviewed Ari Lightstone, who was instrumental in devising the 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 Abraham Accords. Two-time former way. guest of this show, by the way, Ari Lightstone. Great, great, great guy. Great conversation. That was one of the favorite conversations I had. We went deep. He's not in government anymore. So we can say what he really thinks. And he worked with David Friedman, the ambassador, and Jared Kushner in devising it. Uh, Michael Oren, the sort of legendary diplomat who renounced his U.S. citizenship to become full Israeli, said something that, you know, I was kind of like really interesting and, and, and poignant when he said that when he made the choice to become full Israeli and renounce his U.S. citizenship, there was a formal process where in front of you, they took your, your passport and they stuck a giant hole punch right through the heart of the eagle. And he said that like made him tear up. And so that was just poignant part of a conversation. Uh, Minister Chickley, Ahmed Hai Chickley, who's the Minister of Diaspora Affairs. Awesome recently guy. In Poland, awesome guy. Great conversation. Really discussed the roots of anti-Semitism. Naftali Hazoni, your friend Yoram Hazoni's nephew, fighter pilot for the IDF for, for eight of his 15 years of military service, talked a lot about, you know, dogfighting in the Syrian airspace. Really cool stuff you're not going to find in many places. Uh, Dr. Eli David, a, a venture uh, venture capitalist and uh, quantum computing AI, you know, big tech kind of guy. All over Twitter. Now, who's, yeah, the... He, he, he's so proud of being called the snarkiest pro-Israel voice on Twitter. He's brilliant. He's hilarious. He's just a great dude. We had a great conversation about the venture space. Stefan and him had a great conversation about the political dynamics and the social media dynamics. Actually uh, interviewed the Hebrew Israelites of Demona. Interesting story. May not agree with their take on things, on their take on the history, but very interesting. And they view themselves as Jews and they live a quite pure life. Uh, in Demona and, you know, just met one of their guys on the street, started talking to him when they're doing street interviews, ended up talking to their their head guy uh, from Demona, who's their main minister. He goes by Sar uh, uh, Ben Yehuda. Uh, Winston Marshall from Mumford and Sons, the canceled rock star. He kind of quit Mumford and Sons when they're trying to stifle his uh, free speech views. Great conversation. He just did a great interview podcast with Douglas Murray, uh, which is a must watch an hour and a half. Melissa Chen, uh, who is in Israel, who's a great uh, a great personality online and a great thinker. Alex Trayman from JNS uh, went to the IDSF in uh, Ashkelon, the Israel Defense Security Forum, and spoke to Amir Avivi, the Brigadier General, who is one of the main architects of the security state for the last 25 years. Uh, so it, it really fascinating. We're going to have we have hundreds of hours of content. Uh, we're going to start uh, releasing some long form stuff, uh, I think, this week, some short form stuff on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Telegram, et cetera, in the next couple of weeks. But we'll have for the next 
eight or nine weeks, just tons of stuff on Visegrad 24, all their social media platforms, including YouTube and Rumble now. So. Well, once again, go ahead and follow Visegrad 24 on social media if you are not already doing so. And for that matter, go ahead and follow Matthew Tiermond on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it, on Instagram as well. Matthew, this was a really informative conversation. I know that I learned a lot about Ramallah in particular from, and I look forward to all the content that is to come from the Vishigrad 24 Twitter account, as well as your forthcoming article about Maseratis and rickshaws. I think that will really be a hoot. So thanks so much for joining the show, my friend. I appreciate it. Please follow all of us. And, uh, you know, we've got some great stuff and uh, I'll be home late tonight, Josh. So don't wait up.